Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, April 23rd, 2019, and we are continuing our countdown towards episode 101. Today we're bringing you episode 99, so that means, kids, there are only three more episodes of Fish Out of Agua left before we go on a short hiatus. But that also means there are three episodes of Fish Out of Agua left. So, sit back, relax, or get out your dancing shoes because we are getting ready to roll.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Girlfriend is Better by the Talking Heads from their Stop Making Sense live album back in 1984. One of my fave tunes of all time. And another one from my well-spent youth. Well, we have a lot of show for you today, kids, with a fantastic guest artist. I cannot wait to bring this person to you. But first... We're going to begin with a song that our guest artist this week handpicked to open their episode. We're back again with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard, I bet you guys know what that was, the Beverly Hills 90210 theme song that was written by John Davis and came out in 1992 when presumably Beverly Hills 90210 came out. Hey, I never watched the show. Not one episode. <laughs> like, I never watched Game of Thrones either. <gasps> Horror, I know. That's going to make me, like, so unpopular. I, well, I don't know. I think I have this kind of perverse thing where I don't like watching the shows that everybody else likes. I don't know. Whatever. That's just me. But I bet you might be wondering now, since I tried to make a connection between my opening song and the guest artist's opening song, what is the possible connection between Girlfriend is Better and Beverly Hills 90210? Well, I admit, I'm a little confused right now myself. (laughs) But all will soon become crystal clear, because now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week! Woohoo! As we continue our countdown to episode 101. So, welcome, stand up, storyteller, 
comedian, Veronica Garza. Thank you. I was very excited. It was yeah. good. That was awesome. Thank you. So are you a writer also? You yes, I'm also a writer. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So yeah. but we'll have to get... I'm like whatever, like whatever just can get me okay. doing what I want to do instead of actually working an office job. Gotcha. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I hear yeah. you. You know, if I'm going to be creative, I want to be creative for me. Right, exactly. I'd rather just do stack of work, do the work, work done. And then we go handle my other shit. Exactly. Hmm, we're on a good wavelength here. That's right. So I ask this question of everyone when we begin our time together. And this is actually going to be really pertinent because I ask people how and where did we meet. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that I really didn't meet you until a couple of weeks ago with Eric Vedder's No Name show. Right. That was, yeah, that's what I thought, but, but too. But, but however... <laughs> but I did know of your name. I was like, yeah, and through, I knew of yours, Just Eric, too. who's mm-hmm. amazing. And he was like, yeah, you got to try... Because he found out I wanted to do more storytelling. But yeah, I, you just, th- I just found this out before we started recording. <laughs> yeah, that we actually met at Becca Beberaji's You Roar, I Roar show at the Story Fest Festival at the Tank last summer. And then you said that you came in at at the end and you were like a little I was a little tipsy. And I I will say this. I don't do that. I think that might have been one of two times last year that I performed like that. And that happened sometimes. But you killed. And it was great. It was storytelling and it was really good. And I remember Becca was mad. Yeah. And I was, like, was... I was like, I was like, don't worry, I'm going to get it. And I did it. And she said, we lit you. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. And I told my story and everyone was like, that was great. I was like, thank you. Yeah. I know. It was fine. Yeah. I was like, cool. I won't do that as much. I can't. I For me personally, I want to be aware of what I'm saying and remember what I said, when yeah. I said it, how it went, how it was like received. You know, one or two times a year, that's okay. Yeah, I think so. I think Having so. a good time. Yeah, I enjoy it. You got to enjoy your life. Right. I, too, have done that also, but I don't do it as a rule because I find that if I'm under any influence, it takes my sharp edges off mm-hmm. and I want my sharp edges. Right. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it gives you more that emphasis. Yeah. Well, this isn't the Michelle and Veronica's tips for drinking, for drunk performing. performing. No. Okay, now that we know how we met, I was going to ask you where you're from, but I do already know that you're from the great state of Texas. Mm hmm. That's right. I am from Dallas. Then I moved here in July. It'll be eight years in New York City. Wow. Eight years. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, It's gone by so quickly. I feel like I've maybe been here three or four. It's weird. Wow. Well, maybe New York time is just accelerated or something. I don't know. I'm I'm a native. It's regular time for you. Yeah. In Texas, this is sped up. Definitely sped up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You have you been to Texas? No. I mean, you're gonna think they talk slow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not shitting on them. It's no, just, the, it's the true. only South I've been to is uh, South Florida, which is kind of like New York. It's all, it's all full <laughs> right? of Puerto Ricans, Italians, and Jews. Right. I was gonna say that's where they go to yeah. to escape New York. Or they can't take the winter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, where's your family from? Um, well, I grew up in Dallas. My family actually, my mom and my dad are both from South Texas, Brownsville, which is a border town. Um, but they grew up there, and then, like, grandparents, as far as I know, like, my mom's side, they're from, like, East Texas. We're, like, Mexican, Texas, Tex-Mex, like, that 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 was ours. White dudes came in on us. You know, what, fifth generation? Really? Yeah. Wow. Been here for a while. This is ours. You're a pioneer. <laughs> You're right. This is because ours. Texas did belong to Mexico. That's right. That's right. And they went, I'm like, no, that don't even... Everyone's like, go back, like, go back where you came from. I'm like, from Texas? Like, that's where I'm from. That's where my family, like, well, you mom, your, da- your grandparents. I'm like, they're from there. Like, what are you telling me? Wow. Yeah. Wow, I've never met a pioneer Texan before. Like the OG pioneer. Right, that's ours. Because um, my family, I, I always joke that we're Mayflower Puerto Rican. Yeah. <laughs> because my dad's family came here in 1928. 
Whoa, yeah. Yeah, and, and my mom's family came in the 30s, and most of the Puerto Rican migration happened after World War II. Wow. But, ironically, people used to say to my grandmother, go back to your country. And she would tell them, this is my country. You get out. Right. Yeah, because, yeah, she was a citizen. It's yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're pioneers. Look at that. Look oh, at us. snap. That's ours. This is ours. This right is here. ours. And I pe- mean, this is yours. This, I'm in your state. Yeah. You I, listen, Texas, then that's it, 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 it's, <laughs> We can coexist anywhere in, in, in this right. country as far as I'm concerned. But, oh, so yeah. what is it about Caucasian people telling us Latinos <laughs> to get out of our country? Because they both think that you and I are from the same place that's just connected to Texas. They just think we're all from Mexico. Right. Which is shitty. Um, yeah. Well, that and I think in, in the South, they think that all Latinos are Mexican. Mexican. They do. Up here, they think all Latinos are Puerto Rican or, or Dominican. Dominican. Yep. Yep. And I usually, yep. I can tell, I'm like, oh, how could you tell? Go, oh, by the Spanish. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then they think Cubans are white. Yeah, that too. Yeah. yeah. So Even if they're not like, white, then they, they freak out. If they see an Afro-Cuban, they're like, what? They don't, they don't understand. Spanish. Yeah. Right. Well, they get mad. Yeah, well, they get so mad. Can't wait until we take over the world. Right? Well, we're on our way. So did you grow up bilingual? I did not. Um, huh. Do you speak I, Spanish? I do speak Spanish. Yeah. Um, but I took it upon myself to learn it. That was my thing. We didn't, well, that's the hard part too, growing up in Texas. I remember I asked my mom, I was like, why didn't you teach me Spanish as a kid? And she said, you know, in Texas, I didn't want them to have to automatically put you in ESL. I didn't want them to do that to you. And I didn't want your English to be affected. And I was like, okay, well, she was just trying to save me harm. But I'm like, okay, now, the only people that get mad at me now are like my people because they're like, you speak Spanish horribly. And I remember in first grade once... My teacher saw my last name, Garza, and she was like, oh, you go with everyone else from ESL. And I know those are my friends that happened to be from Mexico, and they all learned English from Sesame Street because that was how my friends all learned English in the 90s. But I got to ESL, and she asked us like seven in Spanish, and I remember I had to count. And she's like, you don't know it? I was like, no. And she asked us something, and I was like, book. And they were like, libro. And I was, I was like, I don't know. She's like, well, I don't know Spanish. And so I remember I told my mom, and she's like, who put you in ESL? I was like, the first grade teacher. And she was like, oh, okay. My mom, my mom never would go to school for anything because, one, we knew better like, to get in, than to get in trouble. But she showed up, and she's like, she doesn't know Spanish. What are you doing putting her in this? Yeah, they were doing profiling. Yeah, and she That's just crazy. was like, oh, her last name. I'm sorry. My mom's like, no, she was, she's from here. I'm from here. Like, don't do that. And people just assume that you're either your first generation mm-hmm. or you are illegal. Yeah. That's it. There's, there's, no, there, there's, no, there's nothing else. But we had a similar thing because my, my parents didn't bring my brother and I up to be bilingual either because when they were children in the 40s and 50s... They got in trouble for it, They right? got in trouble for it. That's and, what my and dad... They, and they didn't know... They didn't learn English until they went to school because they only spoke Spanish at home with mm-hmm. their parents. And there was such a stigma to that that yep. my parents didn't want my brother and me to grow up with that stigma. But the flip side of that coin is like you can't talk to the rest of your relatives. Yep, that's the hard part. And, and then you have relatives saying, you know what you brought up with me? You brought up your kids to be white. And then it's like, oh, God. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a big problem now that's why I took it upon myself to learn it but mm-hmm. I just say you know what I am proud to speak Spanish like the American that I am yeah. and at least I try yeah that's the thing I try so getting back to cultural identity would you say were you brought up with any Mexican culture or were you brought up totally American or were you brought uh, up with like a mix I would definitely well that's the thing too I mean aside from not speaking to me in Spanish I grew up really Mexican I mean Mexican American well Tex-Mex is in itself that's our own describe what a Tex-Mex is people might not know that's just a part of Mexican culture being in Texas like the aspects certain parts of it 
kind of just intertwined. How is it different than being a Calmex, a California Calmex. Mexican? Well, one is better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is my parents, would, they would drive, my, my grandmother who passed us here, my mom's mom, we'd drive 10 hours to Brownsville, which is like on the very southern tip of Texas. Oh, which Trump wants to build that wall. And it's right by for like white people who go there during spring break. It's right by like South Padre Island. And so it's right there. But we go to my grandmother's, you know, she would play Mexican music. She would always have her novelas on. She would have always Univision on in her bedroom where Telemundo would always be on and we'd wake up and, you know, she'd she'd make tortillas like handmade oh, for yummy. a while. As long as she could, she made those. She always had rice and beans. Like anytime we were hungry, she's like, warm up the beans that are on the, on the, um, that are on the stove. There were always beans on the stove that you just warm them up and we just put them in a tortilla and eat that. Oh, it like sounds eggs. so good. We, we, um, she had friends who would always come by because they knew that we were from Dallas and they'd like, oh, we gotta try, they gotta try this, drop tamales off, like all the time. And, or we'd go to her church and then they'd play, um, Loteria, which, you know, I don't, I love like Mexican bingo. That's our that's our mm-hmm. shit. You know, you put the little bean on it instead of like the actual coin or marking it out. Like we would do things like that that I just assumed. Oh, I was like, oh, this is your thing. But I didn't even have the idea of like white or anything like that as a kid. It's just one day. It's like, oh, this is how you're different. I think it's just really good that you were brought up with both, just like a total blend yeah. of cultures, which like a is mezcla. great. <laughs> yes, a mezcla. That's right? what I was thinking of. Mezcla. Yep. A mezcla. Mezcla bien. <laughs> So do you have siblings? Yes. I have an older brother who's 11 months older than me because, you know, let's yeah. you know, so can't wait. And my younger <laughs> brother is three years younger than me. Oh, so you're the middle child. Yeah, I'm the middle child. Hmm. So this is a two-part question. Do you come from an artistic or education-oriented family? I guess in some sense. My parents were always very encouraging of me. Actually, I used to draw a lot as a kid, and I, like, I studied art even in high school. I had like a major in high school, like based on the high school I went to. And then when I went into college, I was going to go into commercial art. Ended up not taking it. I think I just went. I went into basic advertising. But um, I did like a lot of just art-based things growing up, and my parents were very encouraging in that sense. I went to a Montessori school. My younger brother went to like a magnet school, and the things that they would offer were not at our basic elementary school. I played piano for a couple of years, then went to violin, then string, bra- string bass, and then my younger brother played violin, and then he was just wanted to, he picked up my bass one day, and he locked himself in, the, in, in his room for the weekend, and he came out, and he was like, listen to this, and he played some System of a Down album. Oh, Do you remember my System God, of a Down? yes. And he played um, the System of a Down album from, like, 2001. On an upright bass. On the upright bass, and he goes, listen to this, listen to this, and he's like, that's all the bass part, and I'm like, how the hell can you do this? And he goes, I just listened to the note, and I matched the note. My younger brother plays by ear. He is real. That's amazing. Like, that's his music, is his thing. He gets it. He didn't entirely pursue it, which sucks. He, he still plays every now and then, because you can just he just picks it up. How about you? Um, I don't play as much anymore. I bought a ukulele last year. I'm kind of like fucking around with it. But what I want to do is I want to, my alter ego will be, um, what is it? El Diamante Escondido, like the hidden diamond. And I want to do a Neil Diamond songs played oh. by the ukulele, but in Spanish. Or like Make it like a Mexican folk song. Right? <laughs> and I want to do something like that. So I'm like, I've been loosely trying to learn it. Oh I'm just trying, and I'm so, But that's like a long-term project. That's, that's good. Take a, but it's good that I want to do. So, I mean, that is a weird-ass friggin' project. How weird and, is that? And, but, and this leads to, just leads so organically to my next question, which is, when did you realize that you were one of the weirdos? Um, I think I've always been, like, in my family, definitely different. One, I was being the middle child, so obviously had a lot of time by myself, but also being the only girl, so a lot of times it was 
either me being in my brother's shadow or them paying attention to my younger brother. So it wasn't, it was just more of like, okay, well, what do you like to do, Veronica? Like, and I would do things like going to college. That was my thing, like to make my parents happy, but I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. Mm. And I remember there was this guy named Eric who I met during freshman year orientation in college who was like, she wants to perform because we jokingly talked about it. And he goes, would you really want to do that? I'm like, yeah, I do. But it wasn't something I knew I wanted to do. But I always knew I was funny, and I would always, like, just make my friends laugh. And I was like, oh, she's funny. And they, they, whenever you're funny as a kid or even as, a, as an adult, people tell people the same thing. You should be on SNL. As, as if. if. So let me uh, backtrack a tiny bit. And so when your friend was saying when you, when you got to college, you know, that you should perform, and you were like, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I want to do this. Is this something that you you think was a seed that had been planted much, much earlier in your childhood? Were you always the funny one? Were you like the class clown when you were in mm-hmm. grade school? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah? I remember in fifth grade, my teacher, uh, shout out Mrs. Walker, she used to, she would give me free time to kind of like joke on things. I would do an impression of her, which I cannot do now, of course, but she was like, do it, do it now. You think you're so funny, do it. And I remember she laughed so hard. She left the room. And anytime I would say something sarcastic, she was like, remember, Ms. Garza, if you're going to be a smart ass, you need to be smart first. Ooh, and, I and like that. I was like, okay, don't be a dumbass. which is that now I understand the polar opposites of those two. So your mouth got you into trouble? Oh, definitely. All the time? Yeah, still kind of does sometimes. <laughs> that's that's why well, I don't drink that much. <laughs> I was like, you learn to shut up. <laughs> but... I would also kind of like have to be smart mouth. I had two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. They would gang up on me. I had cousins. I had a lot of cousins. Like we'd pick on each other all the time. I got picked on. One of the things I got, we used to get picked on, speaking of like being Mexican, there was this white kid who used to pick on us all the time when we would walk home. And it was just my older brother, me and my younger brother. And he would say shit. And I'm like, I'm going to say stuff back. Like I'm not going to let him talk to me like that. And so that's how I created this defense mechanism of being sarcastic or making fun of people or talking trash to people. Because it wasn't going to let them just like get away with that shit. That's great because a yeah. lot of kids would internalize it, wrote all these no- notebooks that you hid in your drawer. You had all these floppy disks, you know, mm-hmm. but you just like got it out. Yeah. I like, was, like it, it, it didn't even fester. It was like, F it's you, like, man. You what say you this. Say? Yeah. 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 And then every, every now and then that'll come out too. Yeah. Someone else, I'm like, excuse me, do you want to say that again? And my girlfriend's like, oh shit. I go, I just need, you, you need to say, and then she's like, calm down. Were you physical? Did you fight? Um, with my brothers and stuff. Oh yeah. And like, we got into a couple of fights. No, before. I meant like with, uh, but people, like people that. Tried to pick school, on you. Yeah, yeah, we, we got in a fight. I could see you doing shit. that. Yeah, I was like, you know, that was little and their little ponytail. Firecracker. Throwing down. Yeah, definitely. Tell my girlfriend once, I was like, you know, you throw your purse in a, in a tree and then you come get it later. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, so your ID's there and you come get it and no one steals your shit. And she's oh like, shut up. I never heard that but one. That's, I guess that's a, that's a very you like. You throw your purse in the tree. That's a very like, yeah, Mexican shit. So from grade school through high school you're a class clown did you yeah. do and you did well in school I'm yeah, going to, I, I'm, I could really see you excelling academically and having the teachers writing the report cards she's so bright except she talks a lot yeah, yeah. she doesn't shut up she gets bored and yeah, i was like yeah, yeah, yeah. i would finish everything and i'm like well what do i do now you weren't in any clubs or anything in high school like drama or, no or, or i just drawing. i was um well my mate we had a major so we had classes all the time with um with drawing with art classes so that was like Half of your time was working on that, um, doing commercial art and learning how to, like, learning Photoshop. That's so great. So yeah. so you have this dual thing going on of visual arts 
and performing that's just like in you but not out out yet. I didn't know it was a thing I could do yet. So what college did you go to? I went to the University of Kansas. What made you decide to go there? Uh, I went I went for free. Oh, oh you got yeah. scholarship. Yeah, but for me to like have a better grade than all these white people meant a lot to my yeah, mom. Yeah, they don't no. expect the child of color to achieve. No, they don't. So when I graduated, I had a lot of different offers from different universities. But also, it's they just weren't taking anybody. You had to have been smart. You had to have done well. And I was involved in, like, like I had that art cluster. So that was part of it. And then I went, so I went to school for free. And that was, that was great. I mean, my parents couldn't pay for it anyway. We didn't grow up with a lot of money. So, Good. and they didn't have to bribe anybody. Nope, they did not. I said that ago. We didn't have to bribe <laughs> and they anybody. Didn't have to, they didn't have to say that you were on the lacrosse team. They were not. And I actually, but I did play lacrosse in college you for did. one year. You <laughs> did. Oh, look at that. That's, that's a cause that. Thing. I actually did it. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. the University of Kansas. In Lawrence, Kansas, which here's Kansas, here's Missouri. Like, there's Kansas City is the border town. It's on the eastern side of Kansas, uh -huh. Lawrence is, but it's 30 minutes from Kansas City. Oh, wow. So, when someone says Kansas City, I was like, no, that's completely different Oh, so area. it's Kansas, right, because it's Kansas City, Missouri, and uh -huh. there's Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas. Right. So, like, cornfields? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, Kansas City, Kansas is more... I think it's more neighborhoody. It's also more hood, um, which when they ask people like KCK or KC Mo, and if someone says KCK, you're like, oh, it's hood. But there are some really nice parts of it. Driving through Kansas, it's a lot of fields, a lot of, you see like farmland, but Western, yeah, and Western Kansas is just empty. So there are a lot of people of color there though. It's not like you think of the American heartland and you just, I just think of it being like all the descendants of the Western European pioneers right. that went West in like the 1800s. Right. Yes and no. Um, I would say it's becoming more diverse because it is cheaper to live there. Were you a sorority person? I, I will not say which one I was a part of, but it was a Latina sorority. Oh, it was a Latina. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Oh, whoa. Yeah. And whoa. They, they... So double plus hard. Right. Or at least they thought one of the things that they did is when you're joining a sorority or a fraternity, you're online for a certain amount of time. And that's like you're going through the process to become a member, like the hazing and like doing the rituals. Just once I got in it, I well, I wanted to do it because of networking, but I didn't really see myself getting anything out of it. But during one of the things when I was online, so going through this trial period of working to be on the sorority is the best way to say it, which I was online for seven weeks, five days, 23 hours, 28 minutes, and 50 seconds. And you know, you learn to know this because they ask you how long you've been online. Oh my God. Um, but one of the things they did is they played this game called remote control. And what they did is if they would put the remote on you and say what show they're watching, and then you had to become that show. Oh, and I was super good at it because they were just like, um, was it Crocodile Hunter? And I would do like my Steve Irwin impression, like TRL or uh, Seventh Heaven or Beverly Hills 90210. And I was really good at that. And I was like, oh, you I, in my head, I was like, oh, you're super quick. That was easy. It was just performing for them. So you basically were getting your improv training. You didn't even have to go to UCB. It's a, a realization right now. That was my first open mic. <laughs> wow. That was my first wow. open mic. Was that like a tipping point for you that you realized that performing was actually something that you could do? Or did that happen earlier or later? 
That still happened later after college. After college. Okay. So what did you end up majoring in in college and um, how did it go? I did strategic communications, which is, which is basically advertising. Oh, okay. And it's a really good journalism well, school. Were you going to be, did you think you were going to be an art director or an account executive? What did you think? I didn't know what I was going to do. I hmm. kind of went, I'm, I mean, I kind of went through the motions there and I didn't know what was going to happen after. I didn't really know. I guess I should have paid attention more. But so what were you doing for your artistic expression while you were in college? Besides, besides playing remote control. Right? I was doing nothing. That's the thing. I didn't know what... I didn't really have anything going on. I didn't know that that was a thing that I could do. So from 18 to 22, you basically did nothing artistic at all. Yeah, really. I didn't do anything wow. artistic. Wow. I didn't, which which sucks. It's unfortunate. Because even now I say I wish I would have known then what I, what I know now about what I want to do with my well, life. You but that takes experience. Ma- yeah, and you more than made up for it. So right. when you graduated... What kind of job did you think you were going to get? How did, in what direction did you think your life was going to go? I was interviewing a lot for like um, this media buying um, or a junior AE position for an ad agency for agencies, different agencies in Dallas. Which um, I remember immediately after graduating college. So you went, you were like, "Well, I'm just going back to Dallas." Like, right, back to Dallas, you'll find a job. And so I went and I took a job immediately at a running store because I also, I also run a lot. So I was like, well, this will buy me time. And then I ended up interviewing at Univision and I, I got a job as like the uh, assistant to the VP slash GM. And I would work with her half the day and the other half I would work in like the traffic department, which is a fancy word for the people who make sure the networks have the ads that they need for that evening or for the week. So I did that. For a year and a half, and then I from there I went. I worked AIG. Worked there for like four months. I hated it. Oh and I remember God. they told me I'd be work. I would be working on the marketing materials for them. And I was like, cool. They were gonna give me more money that I only be seeing. I was like, cool. And I get there, and they're like, oh well, this is actually what it's gonna be about. And I'm like, well, I gotta keep this job. So I, I looked around and I found a job at uh, the Dallas Morning News. Oh, yeah, and but I didn't get to do any writing there. It was more ad sales. So I was like assisting sales executives, which is bullshit, and it is the worst thing ever. So You were like on the Dallas yuppie fast track. I was on my kind way. Of. I was kind of on my way. Yeah. And then the recession happened, and I didn't have a job for a while, but I ended up like unemployed for a couple of months. But it was during this time that I heard about improv, and I was like, Oh, you should sign up. So I signed up for an improv class. What school was it in Dallas? With the Dallas Comedy House. And the Dallas Comedy House now, I will say this now, it's it's huge. It is very successful. But I went when it used to be in, in a stage in the back of a restaurant that they just had to rent out this space. And I remember we were doing improv and I was like, oh, well, I wrote this down ahead of time. They're like, no, 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 you're not writing anything down. If you want to write anything down, you're going to try stand-up. Did you realize at that point that it was that improv was like playing remote control? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And then I learned. I didn't realize that until I would be running in the morning and I'm like, oh, you should write a joke. I, I would write jokes in my head. All right, because they told you if you write things down, you should be a stand-up. Right. So I'm writing things in my head and I'm still worried. I looked and I was like, oh, Dallas does have stand-up comedians. Okay. So I... And you weren't interested in this at all before? I knew I wanted to do it. I would watch certain comedians do it, like like professional comedians. Like, like you videos. would go to shows or would we watch Saturday Night Live? I would not or watch Living Night Color. Or... Like, yeah, just like random like stand-up specials. My mom and dad watched a lot of um, Red Fox and, mm. uh, like, of course, Eddie Murphy's stuff in the 80s. Things like that. So I was aware 
of what it was, but I didn't know that I could try it or I could do it. So I went to a random stand-up comedy show. But before that, actually, I found a name of a comedian who I guess we had mutual friends because I was involved with Dallas Comedy House. He added me on Facebook, and I saw that he put stand-up comedian on there. And he added me as a friend, and I he, I approved, and I messaged him, and I was like, hey, I've been thinking about doing stand-up comedy. He was like, that's great. I was like, any advice? And he gave me this long, like, list. I actually didn't even think I would I should pull it up, but I, he gave me all this advice. He's like, if you're going somewhere, tip the waitress. Be nice to the wait staff. Um, move your mic stand out of the way as soon as you get up st- on stage. Talk loud. Do this. Do this. Don't talk about gross stuff yet. Um, yeah. Don't steal, you know, don't, don't, don't steal people's <laughs> jokes. He gave me that. And then I went to an open mic and I watched some of the guys and I sound like an asshole. Cause I feel like people would see say this if they saw me and they're like, I could do that. And I was like, Oh, I could totally do this. So I, I told the guy, I introduced myself to him because he happened to be at that mic. And I was like, Hey, I'm Veronica. I messaged you. He's like, that's awesome. He goes, did you sign up for next week? I was like, I didn't. He goes, sign up for next week. Wow. This sounds like this dude was kind of like a mentor to you. Yeah. It just really quickly gave me this advice. And I mean, we're still friends. He still performs in Dallas a lot, but I signed up and I was like, oh shit, you got a week, you got to write jokes. You got to write three minutes of jokes. That is crazy. Three minutes, that's not anything now. But I wrote it and I didn't tell anybody and I went and did it that Thursday um, and it went well and I went the next week and I told my parents to go and I ate shit so badly on stage and my mom was like, you sure you want to do this? Um, And I remember, ugh. So I did it. But that's how you get better. That's how you get better. And I remember that's how you get better. someone the next week on that Tuesday, like, you want to go up? I was like, okay. And, but I mean, at that point, it's all stage fright too. You have to get over the stage fright. But it took a while. I, I eventually got booked on certain shows. There weren't as many shows then as there are now in Dallas. But I noticed that it was kind of like big fish, small pond, mm. not shitting on it, but... So you're like, what, 26 at this point? Yeah, 25, 26. So what made you decide if I'm going to grow anymore or if I'm going to continue to do this, I got to leave. Here's the thing. I didn't know I was going to even move to New and York you're, And you're still working like at Univision or whatever the place I, you were At this point, I was at a radio, radio station, show, radio station. Or a radio, like a radio a media station that specializes in radio. And how were your parents with this? Were they like supportive of you? Did they just think this was your hobby they and you went out growing? They were like, oh, this is fun for her to do. They didn't think it was a thing. And then I stopped doing stand-up in Dallas just because I was based on my observation and I wasn't in it. I, I didn't have the right type of mentality for it yet. So I left, like, I, I actually, I, I left my radio job. Um, just, it was not working out. And I remember I toyed with moving to New York because my friend, the one who I mentioned earlier, she actually was living here. She goes, you should come to New York for a little bit. Just try it out for six months. I was like, okay. And I think maybe my second month here, I went to Eastville, the one in the East Village, mm. RIP, mm-hmm. and I did the mic, and it was horrible, like, horrible, like, just ate shit, and that's how, and I didn't know then that that's how it, an open mic should be, like, it's Was it all stuff. dudes? Yeah, it was mainly dudes, and, um, straight white dudes, of course. <laughs> they were just corny, like, I was like, whatever, like, I honestly, I remember faces pretty well, and I haven't seen any of them, really, since then. So, yeah. But... I didn't do stand-up for another two years after that. So when you came to New York, you just stayed? Yeah. I got a job at an agency um, within like two months being here at a media agency and right in the financial district. And 
up until like February, I was in that building. I was with a different agency, but I had been in that building since then working. But I didn't do stand-up for another two years, and then I noticed with just life and things, um, I would um, write stuff down still, and I would get a notebook, and I would write things down. I was like, you know what? You want to try it again? So I went went to uh, the Creek in the Cave one night just to check out the open mic, and I was like, oh, this seems more fun. So then I, I went there the next and week. And this is what now, 2010 now? 12. 12, I think okay. it's 2012. Yeah, 2012, 2013. And I decide, oh, I'm going to, you know what, I want to do this again. And so I do it again, and I have a good time. And I realize, oh, this place has mics all the time. So let me try it more. And so I wouldn't do it every day, but I realized I could do it every day. And knowing, okay, this is where I'm going to start spending my time more and slowly Surely, you know, I got booked on like one show a couple months later and then another show a couple months. It wasn't a lot, but I was getting booked. Now it's just been a thing. Wow. So you basically just fell into a comedian's dream. You come to New York, you get a job, you discover where you can have mics all the time and you go and you keep doing it and you get booked. Yeah. And it happened to be a thing. I'm like, oh, you're in the perfect place. And people will ask me, did you move here to do comedy? I I did not. That was not my intention at all. No, you said that you moved here because your friend said, just come for a couple of months and see if you like it. And try it out. And I was trying it out. And then stand up just happened to be part of it. And here, you know, it's the best place to do it. And now it's just been a part of my life. Wow. So now would you consider yourself a working comic? Do you do road? I don't do roads. I mean, I do some. I did some road stuff last year. And then I, I headlined last year in Dallas at Dallas Comedy Oh, House. that must have been something to that go home cool. and headline. Did, that was cool. Did your parents and everything come? Yeah, everyone went. And you did, and you killed? Yeah, it was good. I, my, my friends went and it was a good, I taped it. It was like a good half hour. So I taped that. And I was happy about that. that That's was cool. fantastic. It was great. It was amazing. That's like vindication. Yeah. And all the guys like that I did comedy with, they were like, what the hell? And I was like, we do it all the time. Like, up in, I tell them, like, New York is the best place to be doing it because it's everyone there. It's super funny. So right. you want to be funny. And you get all the people from all the other places that want to do it there. So if right. you are good in New York, then you are better than the rest. Pretty you much. Yeah, I mean? that's exactly it. No, it's the most competitive place, especially yeah. even with that. So, But it's not for everybody. And that's okay. So, yeah, now I'm here and it just happened to be like, Oh, I'm here. I'm doing comedy here. Okay, cool. That's fine. And I was like, oh, I like it. I mean, yeah, it sometimes it sucks because it's just like anything. You don't have great days. Don't have great sets. But it's still now. What how I would love you? Doing. How would you say that your work has evolved since the in the seven or eight years you've been here? Oh, so much. Just like um, comedy wise. Mm-hmm. Oh, the fact that sometimes I'll get paid gigs. I don't make a lot. I make money from it every month, but not so much to sustain like. I understand. Like Like, with my office job. My office job definitely supplemented that. So when did you discover storytelling? They didn't have that in Dallas, right? No, they didn't. I mean, the Moth is in Dallas now. Right. But but I don't think it was in Dallas in 2008, 9. No. No, I didn't know that was a thing that existed. And then I would see random comedians be like, oh, does anyone have a storytelling show I can get on to work on this? And I'm like, oh, what are they? They're doing not just jokes. They're doing storytelling? What is this? And then one of this... One of the people who I would I would admit, he's one of my favorite people ever, Mike Brown. He does a lot oh, of Oh, he's amazing. And, he, and I remember he had some shit going on with himself. And when he came back from it, he went to Eric's, at Eric's show. And he had a story to tell about it. And the way he did it is was just so honest. And I was like, that's amazing. That is, that's, I want to try that. That's storytelling. That, I, mean, I want to do that. He did it so great. I want to get to that different level of vulnerability it's a different level of everything when you can blend 
stand-up aspects mm-hmm. into storytelling. Yeah. Where you can, you can have some jokes in the story that you're telling, but the story has Might a greater, has a greater thing. Yeah. Like I, to me, I always say the difference is, is like in stand-up, your persona could be like, I'm the asshole. Mm-hmm. But in storytelling, you find out why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And some, some stand-up comics are really heavy on their storytelling, and it's amazing when they do that because that's what happens. I want to learn to make this bit go from, you know, one... One minute to six minutes, right. they, and how it and go deeper and go into it and bring out yeah. the comedy part, but also you have to I have to go into the darker part, yeah, to get out the comedic I, part, or you have to embody a character, or you have to find an arc. Right. There has to be a difference in perspective at the end of the story than it was at the beginning. Something has to shift. Right. There needs to be stakes. Right. They, and those are all elements of storytelling which are not necessarily inherent to stand up. Right. Exactly. And, and you can just go from. Random A to B to C to mm-hmm. D. It doesn't have to yeah. be logical. It doesn't have to have smooth transitions. And be funny, and that's great. But a story has that. There's this underlying common common thread that's tying it together. I tell myself, you can grow if you can stay on task instead of jumping. Keep going with the story, but have that thread in there that keeps it all together. So seeing Mike do that, and I was I expressing to Eric, I was like, hey, I want to do more st- storytelling. So I just started trying it last year and noticing, oh, this is fun. It is. It is fun. I like it because I already know what happened because this was my life. This is what happened. So I don't have to write the bit out. And it doesn't have to be funny. Like, that's the best part of it. And I did did a show um, called Closet Cases, The Stonewall. And the uh, producer, Sean, he uh, asked you to tell your coming out story. And it could be any way you want. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make this storytelling. But, I mean, I did it. It wasn't linear per se, but the underlying thing was this is how I found out who I am, you know as a person, what my sexual preferences are. But it being a story, and that was interesting to me to be able to do that, finally. And to be, it's finally. finally wow. It's a thing, and I mean... Did you come out later in, in... Well, no, no, I've come out before, yeah. But, I mean, for me, that was the storytelling. The storytelling oh, part, so it's, Oh, gotcha. But so it you're coming story, out of... Yeah, 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 yeah I get like it. storytelling, being, knowing, oh, this is part of what I can do. It is daunting, but it's super fun. Well, I guess this is a good time to say <laughs> a little pescado. A little pescado says that you have either a story or a bit to share. Yes, I will. Are I you going to be doing story or stand up or or mezcla? All right, mezcla, una mezcla. I love that word. Um, I just call it Kansas. All, All right. right, Veronica Galza. All right, cool. In Kansas. All right. So basically, I am kind of like this lore, this Aunt Becky bullshit that's going on. You know what I'm talking about with the what's her name from Lori. From Full House, everyone's like, you know, Lori Lachlan, I don't care about her name. Her name is Aunt Becky. Like, that's who she was on TV for 12 years. That's who she will continue to be for the rest of my life. But she's, you know, going to prison because she paid for her daughter, you know, her daughter to go to school. I get it. Like, if you have that much money, you want to pay for the best for your kids. I get that. Cool. I personally am jealous because I've mentioned how much I do stand-up. My parents have seen me a couple times. They've never laughed harder than when I was 12 years old and I was like, Mom, do you have money in my college fund? And they were just like, that's funny. You have jokes. And I should have saw it as a sign then. But I knew, I want to go to school for free. So what you do, the trick was to look for a state where they don't have that many Latinos and find a school that has a major in something I want to be when I grow up. 
but unfortunately, the University of Wyoming does not let one major in being a bad bitch. So I went to Kansas, and I studied Spanish. I'm going to tell you again. I went to Kansas to study Spanish. I remember when my mom saw my degree, she was like, you know what? I'd be happy if you just didn't speak Spanish at all. I always think about it like I went to Kansas to study Spanish. That's like taking an African history class that was taught by a white woman, which is something I did in Kansas. But I um I always think it's interesting because I during this African history class halfway through the semester this white professor sits me down and she's like, "Hey, you're doing really good in the class. Do you want to take this as a major?" And here I am at this crossroads. Do I study Spanish or do I study African history in Kansas? And I chose Spanish because if I'm going to offend anyone, it's going to be my people. But also I feel like there's no better feeling than speaking Spanish somewhere and a white person being like, we're in America, speak English. And me being like, hey, hey, I learned Spanish in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Thank you. And that is a blend. That is totally a stand-up story. Wow. Hey. I learned Spanish in Kansas. <laughs> I like that. I want to hear you tell that someplace else. It's, oh, definitely, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I didn't get the Aunt Becky connection with Lori Loughlin at first because I was always wondering why they were calling her Aunt Becky. I didn't realize that she was Aunt Becky on the a TV show. House. Yeah. No, I didn't because I didn't really watch that. Yeah. And why would you? Yeah. I, I thought it was because she was blonde and white that they were calling her Becky. Becky. Oh, like, like, like Becky with, with the good, the good hair. hair. Yeah. That's what, they were, that's what everyone was saying. But no, it's just Oh, Becky. she's really Becky. She was Aunt oh, Becky. Oh, my That's so meta. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I was like, why would you? I mean, like, be your own stereotype, white people. I loved her. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I know. People are complicated. Seemingly good people could do rotten things, and sometimes bad people can end up doing something Sometimes it happens, yeah. Sometimes it happens, because we're all humans. But also, thank I thank Lori Loughlin for that, because that's the only way that bit finally made sense to me. Like, it got me to where I needed to go with that. And that's good. <laughs> so, Aunt Becky did a good thing. Gracias. Yes, gracias. Becky. So, what's coming up next for Veronica Galza? Awesome. Where do you see yourself progressing in the next... Uh, year i have some stuff i want to film and so i have that but also an album maybe just i, I shouldn't i'm thinking about maybe recording but definitely not this year i co-host this one show at the beginning of every month it's called queer film theory 101 with sarah kennedy a fellow comic and we take films that have a heteronormative storyline and we talk about how they're actually queer we invite queer performers to do a presentation it's super fun where is it that is at the um, house of wax bar in downtown brooklyn in that City Point Center, right off the R stop, off the decal. That's Monday, May 6th, May 8th. I wrote a play about Fire Festival. It's a shit show about a shit show. It's called Fire and Rain, and we had a one-night run in March at the Pit Loft, and it went really well, and so people were like, oh, I'm so sad I couldn't make it, or just they wanted us to do it again. And I'm fortunate enough to have performed at Under St. Mark's a couple of times, and they are providing the space for me to put the show again on for a second night run on May the 8th at 7 p.m. at Under St. Mark's. You're busy. You got a lot of stuff I'm excited. I wrote this play and I'm directing it. That is fantastic. Y'all well, gotta go. And it has um, some of my favorite performers, Calvin Cato, Bobby Hankinson, um, uh, Sarah Hartshorn, and uh, Sarah Kennedy. And if that goes well, maybe we'll do another run of it. 
Fantastic. I'm excited. So if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about your fabulousness and see your calendar in case what you just said about your shows goes in one year and out the other, right? where can they find you? Website, IG, Instagram, Twitter, find all that stuff. Find me on Instagram at Veros underscore got underscore jokes and on Twitter at Veros, that's V-E-R-O-S underscore broke. And uh, you have a website? I do not. That is currently in construction. Are you on Facebook at all? Yes. Find me under Veronica Garza. Type in comedian. Up in New York City. Google her. Yeah, Google me. You'll find me. That's, yeah, find her on Twitter. You, like her on Instagram. Me. You'll because, find me. They can Google can. your name, or they can put find you on Facebook and find me because we're yeah. Facebook friends. I, I like how your 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 Latin accent came out. You can Google me. You, you can, can Google, Google me. You can Google. <laughs> Google. Now I have one one last question to ask of everyone when we get to the end of our time together. Okay. If you had a word or two or three of advice and or encouragement. For a person who knows that they want to do something creative, whether it's stand-up or visual art or, or music or any type of artistic expression, and because of the constraints of their upbringing, their family, or their own blockages and fears, they haven't been able to make that leap yet, mm-hmm. what would you tell this person? Uh, it's, it's not long-winded, but I will say this. Do it and do it for yourself. It's as simple as that. Like, if you're writing a play and someone goes, well, people aren't going to like that. No, write it because you'll like it. Like, write it for your enjoyment. Don't write it, like, when I write a joke, I don't write it particularly because I think this audience will think it's funny. I think because I think it's funny. And, you know, if it's weird, cool. Be yourself. Eventually, you're going to find your own group of people that wave that same freak flag. And those that's that, that you found your peeps. And one weirdo finds another. Always. And together always. you make weird world. There you go. I mean, <laughs> I, I found mine. I love it. Yeah. You find your like-minded people and then you just create even cooler stuff from then on. Well, New York is glad that you found us. I'm glad New York is Yay. still letting me stay here. Woo-hoo. Thanks so much for being on Thank Fish you. Thank you. Yay. Hug on the air. Yay. <laughs> we always end with a hug on the it. air. Woohoo. That was fun. Thank you.
Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. You just heard Basement Jacks with Red Alert from their Remedy album in 1999. And oh my God, I haven't thought about that song in years. I actually, when back in the art store days, I took the name Red Alert as like one of my alter ego personas, of which I have legion. Well, kids, that's our show. This has been episode 99 of Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are going to close with the last of Veronica's song picks. It's by Janet Jackson, and it's called Escapade from her Rhythm Nation 1814 album back in 1989. Please stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next. Visit www.radiofreebrooklyn.org to see our entire lineup of fabulous programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week because this is what Brooklyn sounds like and don't forget to tune in next week for our penultimate episode
Chau,